You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, listeners. Happy Thanksgiving. As a special treat, I'm releasing a patron-exclusive mini-sode from two years ago. At the time that I wrote and recorded this, I had recently released an episode about the controversial 1619 Project, in which embellished representations of the pilgrims came up. This mini-sode was a continuation of that discussion and a holiday tie-in. It's a good example of the kind of exclusive episodes you get access to if you pledge as little as a single dollar a month on Patreon. It's shorter than the main episodes, but it is a fully researched and produced story, which usually ties in and fills out the recent episode or even acts as a bridge to the next making Historical Blindness a weekly podcast for those who support it. Come check out the other perks of being a patron on Patreon as well, like getting all your episodes ad-free and accessing the episodes earlier than they release to the public. I hope you enjoy this exclusive Thanksgiving special. On November 9th, 1620, the crew and passengers of the Mayflower, among whom were 37 members of a separatist congregation that would eventually come to be known as the Pilgrims, sighted land after a grueling two-month crossing of the Atlantic Ocean. Before landing in the New World and establishing their colony, those aboard the Mayflower recognized the need to draft a contract The tendency toward democratic independence was indeed strong among separatists who followed the teachings of Robert Brown that every church congregation should be seen as a voluntary, self-governing body rather than as an appendage of the Church of England. This was one of the principal reasons for their departure from the church and from their home country. To say that the Mayflower Compact was some kind of founding document for American democracy, however, is stretching it. The fact was that they had no patent for the establishment of their plantation, and some aboard the Mayflower had begun to grumble that they could do whatever they wanted and were not bound by any obligations to work together. The Mayflower Compact, with its establishment of a, quote, civil body politic, end quote, was essentially just a stopgap to keep their enterprise together until a proper patent could be approved to make their settlement official. Once they had signed their agreement, then and only then would they land, and land they did, disembarking and likely saying another prayer of thanksgiving, though they had already said one aboard ship upon sighting of land. But this is the image we've received from numerous paintings and 19th century textbooks of the pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock and uttering prayers to God for guiding them safely across the troubled waters. Strange, then, that where they actually drew up the Mayflower Compact and first landed was in Cape Cod at what is today Provincetown Harbor. Indeed, since the early 20th century, there has stood a curious little folly tower above a museum erected at Provincetown as a monument to the pilgrims' arrival and the signing of the compact there. What, then, one may ask, is the actual significance of the legendary Plymouth Rock? And one may be surprised by the answer.
After spending some five weeks at Provincetown, the separatists and other members of the nascent little settlement moved to what would eventually be the actual location of Plymouth Colony, that storied place where settlers would interact with Native Americans and dine with them in what is considered the first Thanksgiving meal. It was here that they landed on a massive boulder that was called Plymouth Rock. And by landing, we mean that they must have disembarked via gangplank onto the boulder, such that it served as a kind of makeshift pier. Or perhaps that they boated out to the boulder from their ship? It's difficult to tell. And is this even true? Certainly, at the time of their arrival, there was a 200-ton boulder there, at the edge of the deep channel of water in the harbor, left behind there by a glacier some 20,000 years earlier. And how do we know this boulder was an important landmark for the disembarkation of the pilgrims at Plymouth Harbor? Why, oral tradition, of course. But let's look at that a bit further. The first record of this claim shows up 120 years after their landing at Plymouth. In 1741, when the townsfolk of Plymouth, Massachusetts, had made plans to build a wharf over the boulder. Upon hearing this news, a 95-year-old church elder, Thomas Fonts, asked to be carried on a chair to the building site to make a tearful protest. He claimed that his father had told him the rock, quote, had received the footsteps of our fathers on their first arrival, end quote. And Fonts believed it should be preserved for posterity. Fonts's father had actually come to Plymouth in 1623, some years after the disembarkation from the Mayflower. But as he had known some of the Mayflower's occupants, and as old Thomas Fonts, too, had been old enough to have known some of them, this has since been taken as the gospel truth. However, we have little evidence for the truth of what Elder Fonts claimed. First, a boulder is never mentioned as the point of disembarkation in any of the contemporary accounts, such as Plymouth Colony leader William Bradford's journal, or Mort's relation, a relation of the establishment of Plymouth Colony. Indeed, some have argued that the boulder was not a practical place for disembarking at all. But the simple fact is that we just don't know. Maybe Elder Fonts kicked up a fuss because he didn't want the wharf built there for whatever reason, or because he disliked those who were building it. Or maybe he truly had been told by his father that this was where the pilgrims first set foot at Plymouth. But again, even if it were true, they had set foot in Provincetown five weeks earlier. So their disembarkation at Plymouth rather lacked any momentous weight. And perhaps that's why it was not documented in writing for posterity. While the town of Plymouth would end up building the wharf regardless, eventually they did see worth and opportunity in the growing legend of the boulder. And it would be upon that rock that they would build their economy and, in the process, a lasting myth. They observed Forefathers' Day in Plymouth, first in 1769, and following the revolution, when the newborn country groped for some sense of identity and history, 
the landing of the Pilgrims, and the signing of the Mayflower Compact served as a perfect built-in history and prophecy of their noble democratic experiment. Despite the fact that the Pilgrims had signed the compact and landed elsewhere, Plymouth was the first to lay claim to their legend. Provincetown, as earlier stated, would not press their claim and erect a memorial until the early 20th century. So Plymouth and its mythic rock was celebrated annually, and each year some new speechmaker added to the myth and renewed it for a generation. The list of speakers at Plymouth's Forefathers' Day festivities over the years is legendary, including such luminary figures as John Quincy Adams, Charles Sumner, Daniel Webster, Lyman Beecher, and Oliver Wendell Holmes. In the mouths of different orators throughout American history, the story of the Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock, uncertain though its truth and true significance might be, served as an apt metaphor to garner support for whatever political or religious question was then at issue. If you listened to John Quincy Adams, the Pilgrims were clear supporters of the Federalist Party, despite not having been alive during its rise. Likewise, after the waning of Federalism, Daniel Webster would suggest the Pilgrims' values aligned with Whiggish policies. Whether they be Calvinist, Congregationalist, or Unitarian, preachers of every stripe saw the Pilgrims as forerunners of their denominations and particular brands of Protestantism. Secessionists would even liken the Pilgrims' separatism to the Confederacy's call for disunion, while abolitionists would equate them with the pious outlawry of John Brown. Thus it was over the course of the 19th century that we see the Pilgrims and the symbol of Plymouth Rock cemented in national myth, contemplated and depicted in many ways, not just by speechmakers, but by painters, writers, and poets, including Nathaniel Hawthorne, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and David Thoreau, as well as James Russell Lowell and Elizabeth Barrett Browning, all of whom did their part to immortalize an unassuming rock in Plymouth Harbor. While elder fonts did not succeed in stopping the building of a wharf over Plymouth Rock, he did succeed in beginning the destruction of his revered boulder. Due to his claims about the rock in 1741 and the growing importance of it as a symbol in their annual Forefathers' Day, the town attempted to move the boulder so that it could be more easily and publicly venerated. They succeeded only in breaking the boulder and hauling a piece of it to the town hall. Thereafter, in 1834, they tried to move it again and broke it again, this time trying to cement it back together. Since then, pieces have been on display in a pilgrim hall built for that purpose, as well as at the wharf location where it was originally broken and where a canopy had been erected over it. In 1880, the two pieces were rejoined and the date 1620 was stamped onto it. And along the way, visitors and townsfolk alike have chipped off pieces of the rock as keepsakes, prizing them 
as if they were pieces of the true cross. Throughout the decades and centuries of this slow chipping away at Plymouth Rock, it has shrunk so that now it is less than 5% of its original size and typically fails to impress those who travel to see it. So perhaps, after all, Plymouth Rock does serve as the perfect symbol for our national narrative and our democratic principles. It loomed large in the past, has been dishonestly misused and misconstrued through the years, is today far reduced, and maybe was never genuine to begin with.